0: Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. What I wanted us to look at this morning is the purpose of the church, the purpose of the New Testament church. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21. So this is speaking of God the Father. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. What is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is to bring glory to God. That's what it is. The purpose of the church is to bring glory to God. So do you know what that means? It's not about you. It's not about me. Grace Baptist Church is not about Jim Alter. Grace Baptist Church is not about you. It's about bringing glory to God. Would you all agree with that? That is the purpose. And so I want us to look at a couple of things, but let's begin with this. Keep your place in Ephesians. And go back with me to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10. Oh, I wanted to tell you this. When I brought the consultant in to talk about building the new building, he walked in the door here, he got up to the platform or to the uh, landing up here in the hallway. And he just stood there for a second. And he said, how many do you run? said, around 220, 225. And he said, no way. He said, you are violating every uh, item in the church growth ideal by doing that. So what they say is when you're 80% full that you can't grow anymore. So that would be like 150 people in the auditorium or less, 140. Well, we blew past that wall a long time ago. And here's what I told him. He said this. He said, you've trained your people well. And I said, you don't know our people. (laughs) You can't train those people. (laughs) You crazy. (laughs) I laughed out loud when he said that. I said, no, we have committed conservative people that come to Grace Baptist Church. And what you all have done in growing to this place in this facility, it just shocks people because you shouldn't be able to do it in a facility this. That, that is, that's really a, a compliment to you, to your character, to your willingness to be selfless in a ministry like this. And so it was fun. I enjoyed that conversation with him, and it made me think of this passage. look, look with me, it's Mark chapter 10 and verse uh, 44. "For whosoever of you, Mark 10 verse 44. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. Now let me ask you something. Did Jesus deserve to be ministered unto? Let me ask it again. Did Did Jesus deserve to be ministered unto? Yes. But He said, No, I came to be a minister. And here's the deal. We live in a culture... All right, In a Christian culture, and I'm, I'm thankful that that's not the culture of Grace Baptist, as I just mentioned, but we live in a Christian culture that it's all about me. So people will visit a church, what do you have for me? What do you have for my kids? What do you have for all of those things? Now, praise God, we've got wonderful ministry for people's kids when they come. Isn't that a blessing? Because discipleship is the heart of Grace Baptist Church, and that begins with discipling the children through uh, in the nursery, through the cubbies and TNT and Sparks and all the way on up until the youth group. All of that takes place, the, the junior church, the toddler church, every bit of that is, is about discipling children. But that can't happen if we don't have people that are willing to minister to those children. Right? So the whole heart of Grace Baptist Church is ministering, not being ministered to, but ministering. Now, it has to start with you being ministered to. You've got to grow before you can help someone else grow. You've got to be saved before you can lead someone else to Jesus Christ. You've got to know God's word. You have to be discipled before you can make a disciple. And so if you're here, this is your first time here with us, we want to give you everything. We want you to to know that you're loved. We want you to have that that understanding of community that we have at Grace Baptist Church. We want you to enjoy the service, enjoy the the music. We want you to enjoy the nice soft chair and the the nice temperature and the nice carpet and the lights and the the screen. And we want you to enjoy every bit of it. We want you to even enjoy the plumbing. (laughs) We want you to enjoy all of it because we are here to minister to you. All right, we're here to minister to you. But then when a person gets saved and they start growing in the Lord, at some point they go from being ministered unto to where they start ministering to someone else. And all of us who have made that shift, we understand that we receive more as we minister than we ever did when we were being ministered to. Amen? And so there's that shift. There's that shift. And all of us are at a different place in that But the heart always has to be the purpose of the church is not me and it's not you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord does receive glory when we love each other. And we're going to see that in a minute. The Lord receives glory when we function as a church should. But we always have to remember that our focus has to become outward, not inward. If we're going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with that. Go back to the book of Ephesians. I want, to see a, I want you to see a couple of things, first of all. I've, I've only got three points this morning, all right? Three points. The, the first is the definition of a church, and then the danger of comfort, and then the duty of a Christian. And we're going to try to understand the purpose of a church in bringing glory to God through those subjects. So look with me at chapter 3 and verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, what does it say? Isn't that interesting? So he's a minister of Christ, and we saw that already in Colossians. We looked at that last week. But here, the purpose of his ministry is for those Gentiles. Now, that's really important. Why is that important? Because Paul was a Jew. Not only was he a Jew, he was a Pharisee. And I know that I've told you that when I was in Israel, I'm walking down in the old city, and a young Pharisee, a young uh, uh, Orthodox Jew walked by me, and he went like this. Because I'm unclean, he can't even look at me. That's the attitude that the Apostle Paul would have had. And God saved him. God drew him to himself. God overcame all of his objections. The Apostle Paul became a preacher of the gospel, a minister of Christ. For who? For you Gentiles. What does this tell us? That for us, our obligation is not other Christians. It's the people outside. It's the people outside. And it's so important that we get that, and I'll define a little of that more. But let's try to get an understanding of the definition of a church. We're not going to take the time to go through all the passages that teach what a church is because we'd be here for a long time today. So let me just, let me just bring it all together in a simple definition that I think as soon as you hear it, you'll say, yeah, that's what the Bible teaches about a church. A church is a called-out assembly of born-again, baptized believers meeting in a specific location for the purpose of preaching the gospel, observing and defending the ordinances, carrying out the Great Commission, and doing all things whatsoever the Lord commanded. Isn't that pretty much a summation of what the Bible says about the church? Remember, called out assembly of born-again baptized believers, meeting voluntarily in a specific location for the purpose of preaching the gospel, observing and defending the ordinances, carrying out the Great Commission, and teaching others to observe all things whatsoever the Lord commanded. That is the definition of of a New Testament church. Now notice, it doesn't say anything about a Awana in there. It doesn't say anything about a bus ministry in there. It doesn't say anything about Sunday school in there. It doesn't say anything about that. All of those ministries are effective because they agree with the definition of what a church is supposed to do. So you start with what God said, and then your methodology must align with what God has told us to do. It's very important that we keep the priority of bringing glory to God by the church and its right structure. We have to start there. That's what a church is. And remember, this is so important. It's not about you and it's not about me. We have to remember that. It's about God. It's about his word. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's about reaching the lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples. That's what a church is. So the definition of a church is vital. There are a lot of things, you know... How many of you remember when there was a church here that started in the bar? Remember that? How's that doing now? It's gone. It's gone. You see, all these different types of fads that come along. I got a friend that started a church in a coffee shop. Great. People come to coffee. They, they hear the gospel. But at some point, it's got to grow past that. Where a church meets doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There, you know, I mentioned that in, in my definition that it's meeting voluntarily in a specific location. Let me address that voluntarily. There are states that require, governments, remember, governments that would require you to belong to a certain church, right? The United States, when it was founded in our Constitution, it separated that. The, the, there's not a union of church and state. There's a separation of church and state, which is vital. Now, of course, people take that the wrong direction. They try to use the state to suppress the church now, which was never the intention of the founders, Amen. But neither are you required to go to church. Now, you kids are. You have no choice. (laughs) Amen, parents? I don't want to make my kids go to church. You make them go to school. Right? I don't want to go to school. You're going to school. I don't want to go to church. Okay. Different sermon. Now, that meeting voluntarily, I was thinking, and then in a specific location, when Evan Jones, a missionary, he was sent out of the Church of the Great Valley in Pennsylvania around 1810 down to minister to the Cherokee Indian and Indians in Georgia and North Carolina. He went down there. He started leading them to Christ. Then the Indian Removal Act took place and the Trail of Tears happened. And that was just a horrible thing, by the way. Just Andrew Jackson, he was a demon. But anyway, um, so you have this Trail of Tears takes place. A large group of the Cherokee, they were, they were allowed to vote a leader for the trip. They voted Evan Jones, the Baptist preacher, to be their leader. And so he would preach the gospel at every stop, and they always camped by water. And he would preach the gospel. People would be saved. He'd take them down into the river, and he'd baptize them. He said, as into the church in the wilderness. Isn't that interesting? They didn't have a building, but they were a body of believers that got together to preach the gospel, to baptize converts, and and to do all of those things. And that church moved all the way from Georgia to the state of Oklahoma, so it didn't matter where that location was, but they were voluntarily meeting together as a group of believers. It, we have the benefit of the building. They didn't have the benefit of the building. And so that's, that's a real blessing. But that's the, the definition of a church. It's about Him. It's not about me. And then the danger of comfort. The danger of comfort. Look with me at um, Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse 20. Philippians 1 and verse 20. For I know that this shall turn... I'm sorry. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, remember, I preach this this text at funerals often. If for you to live is money, then to die is loss. If for you to live is your family, then to die is loss. If for you to live is your career, then to die is loss. But if for you to live is Christ, then to die is gain. And if for you to live is Christ now, then you're influencing your family and your family will be with you standing before Christ. That is the heart behind all of it, okay? Then look at what it says. But if I live in the flesh... This is the fruit of my labor, yet what I choose, I want not. So verse 23, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Now, I think that we probably love the world more than Paul did because he was ready to get out of this place and go and be with Jesus. All right? And that's what he wanted to do. His life had been so hard, the, the prisons, the beatings, the torture the starvation. His life had been so hard, he was ready to go to be with Christ. But look at what he says. Verse 24, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful. What are those next two words? For you. Paul's life and ministry was about other people. It wasn't about his own comfort. It wasn't about his own comfort. And let me say this. Achieving excellence is rarely comfortable. Right. One of the things I noticed when Ohio State played Michigan, it got down to the end and into the uh, uh, overtime. And how many of you noticed how easily Ohio State scored in the overtime? Did you all notice that? Well, they had been shutting them down the whole game. Did Ohio State all of a sudden get better? No. I just think they were better conditioned. I think that's what it came down to. They were just in better shape. Now, if you're, an Ohio State, or if you're a Michigan fan, you might not like that. But that's what it looked like to me. Does anybody agree with me on that? That's just what it looked like. They were less tired. Well, how many of you think it was comfortable to get to the place where you were less tired? Think that's easy? Anybody ever throw up on a football field? I have. It's obviously a long time ago, right? But to get to that place, excellence is rarely comfortable. So like to get to this point at Grace Baptist, it's not been comfortable. It's been tough to get to the place where people are willing to sit so close to each other and to sit back and try to watch TV, watch the sermon on a screen and all of those kinds of things with with, with speakers and... that's not comfortable, and as we make this transition into the new building, it's going to be tough. And I promise you this: paying for it's not going to be comfortable. You know, we're asking you to make a sacrifice. So we're asking every family to give at least two thousand. Some of you could give twenty or thirty thousand. It's not going to be comfortable. But what happens when churches get comfortable is they die. Remember the old saying: If you're coasting, you're going downhill. If you're coasting, you're going downhill. If we're going to achieve the next levels of ministry, the next levels of success in ministry, and God has blessed. How many of you think that God has blessed Grace Baptist to this point? And that's 65 years. That's 65 years of a church with two pastors. God has blessed Grace Baptist Church that way. I wish you all knew how rare that is. The average pastor stays about 18 months at a church. And you can't accomplish anything in 18 months. Those churches where they move the pastor every two years, that does great harm to those churches. You can't accomplish anything in that amount of time. God has blessed Grace Baptist Church, but to take those next steps, it won't be comfortable. Let me talk about some of the things that aren't comfortable. It's not comfortable to submit to doctrine that violates what you've always believed. That's not comfortable. The thing we have to remember is it's not about you. It's not about me. I don't get to establish the doctrine for Grace Baptist Church. The Word of God establishes the doctrine for Grace Baptist Church. It is never comfortable to admit what I have been taught, what I have believed is wrong. Um, Some of you know this. Many of you probably don't. When I became pastor of the church here, I was 33 years old. The former pastor had been here for 46 years. He was the only pastor the church had known. And he really knew the Word of God. He really did. And so we would have the Bible study back where we have it now on Wednesday nights in the chapel. But that's all the people we had then. Just whatever was in there, that's, that was Grace Baptist Church for Wednesday night. And I began answering questions. And, so what I, and I don't know where I thought to do this. Our question and answer, we started it right from the first services that we ever had. The purpose of that, I don't know if I've said it out loud to you, the purpose of it was to demonstrate to these older saints in the church that I wasn't a novice, that I could handle the Word of God. The only problem was I didn't know as much as I thought I did. So people, my rule was if you ask me a question, I'll only answer it from the Bible. And that's what we've always done ever since then. But what I found was there was stuff that I had been taught, positions that I held that didn't actually come from the Bible. So someone would ask me a question if I could answer it from the Scriptures, we would turn to those Scriptures, read those Scriptures, and that would be an answer. We'd give the answer. Someone would ask me a question. I didn't know where it was in the Scriptures. I'd say, you know what? That's a good question. Let me study that this week. And next week, I'll tell you what the Bible says about that. There were things that I had been taught that I thought were from the Bible, and they weren't. They were just tradition of men. Now, some traditions that we hold are helpful. If they don't violate the Scripture, we'll continue those traditions. Is that fair? Right? But if there's something that is being taught as doctrine that is tradition... That's a lie. And so I had to change things that I thought were true because they were not in the Bible. And I've got to tell you, when you're the pastor, that's very hard to do. It's hard to swallow your pride and do that. I'm thankful that the Lord helped me to be able to do that, and I've tried to do it ever since. I was thinking, I preached a sermon years ago. And I was thinking about it for this sermon. What's the purpose of the church? And I was thinking about it for this sermon, and I preached a sermon years ago, Based on a sermon that I had heard from D. James Kennedy. How many of you have heard of D. James Kennedy? The only problem is, D. James Kennedy was a Presbyterian who had a different understanding of the Lord's return than we do. So I preached a message, I think it was out of Isaiah, about the church um, glorious as an army marching with banners. And so I preached this sermon. The only problem is, the church isn't an army, we don't conquer anybody militarily. That was the nation of Israel going and defeating their enemies. Interesting, huh? And so I was thinking about that today, and I was thinking, we need to take maybe the first five, seven years of sermons that we have recorded from my tenure here at Grace Baptist and burn them. <laughs> because there was stuff that I had to grow, I had to change, I, had to, I, I didn't have a, a, an understanding of some things from Scriptures that I needed. Now, let me say this. Most of what I preached was just out of the Bible, and it was fine. But on some of those, those script, comparing Scripture with Scripture things, I was just wrong. I was wrong on it. That's a difficult thing for a pastor to admit. What is the danger of comfort? You know, there are a lot of churches where the pastors stop learning. Have you ever been to a church like that? It's like they've not learned anything since Bible college, and it's all self-help stuff. I've got to keep growing. That's not comfortable. And as I get older, 53 years old, I I don't read as fast as I used to. I don't retain as well as I used to. It's more labor to do that work, but I have to continue that. Why? Why? Because if I get comfortable in what I know, I stop growing. And you know what happens when the preacher stops growing? The people stop growing. That's a bad thing. How about you? What is it that you have in your life that you're not submitting to the Scriptures in? It's not comfortable to do that, is it? You've got to swallow your pride. You have to say, okay, pastor, I'm on board. All right, I I see that this is what the Bible says. This is what I am willing to do. This is what I am going to do. And I've got to tell you something. We are one of the least legalistic churches that you'll ever come to. We don't throw a bunch of standards and a bunch of things that aren't in the Bible. We don't do that. We preach the Word of God. When was the last time that I told you guys you have to come to church in a tie? If you're going to be on the platform, we do that because people in our community are conservative. They expect that. I don't tell you you have to wear a tie. There's nothing in the Bible about it. As a matter of fact, I think they're demonic. <laughs> Someone said that wearing a tie is like being strangled by a weak man slowly. <laughs> See, none of that is important. We are not a legalistic church. We don't tell you ladies what to wear. We say, be modest, cover up, be modest. How many of you think covering up and being modest is biblical? That's not legalism, that's scriptural. That's scriptural. Amen? I don't tell you what kind of music to listen to. That's between you and the Lord. That is between you and the Lord. Amen? But I'll tell you this if you're listening to something that's got lyrics that are wicked, I'll tell you not to listen to that. If you've got music that associates itself so much with the world that all it points to is a strip club or whatever, you probably should not listen to that as a Christian. How many of you think that that's going too far? Saying, don't, you know. You see, that's not legalism. What I'm saying is. There's a danger of becoming comfortable and doing those things which are easy when the Christian life living in a fallen world is hard. It is hard. And what happens is churches acquiesce to the culture. Lord willing, Grace Baptist Church will never do that. That our authority is the Word of God and what the Bible says, that is what we are going to do. The definition of a church... The danger of comfort. The danger of comfort. And then the duty of the Christian. What's the duty of the Christian? Go back with me to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 3, let's start reading in verse 1. Well, let's go back to chapter 2 and look at verse um, 7. That in the ages to come... He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we know that salvation is grace, right? You can't work your way to heaven. Your works will take you to hell. That's what the Bible says. Then look at what it says in verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. Now work is not comfortable, right? Work is hard. "...to good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them." So God ordained that we should walk in those good works, not to be saved, but because we are saved. Amen? Right? Not to be saved, but because we are saved. Amen? Amen. "...wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, Made by hand. So the Jews, they, they would circumcise their children. That demonstrate demonstrated they were Jews. Circumcision is not a part of Christianity. And that, that's what this is saying. That, and, and that is really a blessing to every man that gets saved. Hallelujah. Verse 12. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're brought close to Him by the blood of Jesus Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Between who? The Jews and the Gentiles. We're all one. Having abolished in His flesh the enmity. That's warfare. The enmity. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. For to make in Himself of twain, that's of the two groups, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh, so close, near and far preached the gospel to them. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father." Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, notice what it's saying. All of us, whatever race we are, whatever religious background we have, when we get saved, we are one and we function as one and as equals in the local church, and in the body of Christ. Is that, is that what the Bible's saying there? It's very clear. But notice this. That's not the primary goal. The foundation is the apostles, the prophets, with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. So we know how to interact with each other. We know how to have fellowship. We're free from that racism. We're free from all of those ethnic divisions. We're free from all of that by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we know how to minister together to a lost world because of the doctrine of the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus Christ. Then look at what it says. Verse 21. In whom? That's Jesus. All the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So what does God want to do? God wants to build all of us together. Is that right? How does that happen? Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That's the maturing, the growing, the teaching for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the job of the pastor teacher is to train you to do the work of the ministry, to edify, to build up the body of Christ. All right? Look at what it says in verse 13. What's the goal? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth, that's from now on, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So all different doctrinal ideas. We've got to set that aside and settle on the doctrine of the word of God by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. There are many deceivers out there trying to undermine the doctrine of the church. 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. From whom? That's Jesus. The whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So how do we do that? What the Bible says is we know that the church is accomplishing its purpose here at Grace Baptist Church in Sydney. We know we're doing that when we're all growing in the knowledge of doctrine. And we're solid, and we're not being blown about. We're solid. We grow into each other. We learn to love each other. And then all of us start doing what our part is. You see that? We all start doing what our part is. And what happens then? God grows the church. God grows the church. What's the enemy of that? Look at the next verse, verse 17. "'This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord,' that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So don't be empty-headed. You understand that there's a lot of churches that are just empty-headed. There's not doctrine taught. How many of you have been to a church that didn't teach doctrine? You ever been to a church that just rarely did you hear doctrinal sermon? You know, we've gone through more verses today than many churches go through in a month, right? So that's what's happening in the world. This I I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. Look, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. What's being spoken of there? The problem is they're not thinking scripturally they're doing everything as to how it feels. Well, th- this, this service doesn't feel right. There's not been a lot of shouting and running around. I've not been worked up emotionally. So th- where does the Bible tell us to ever do that? It doesn't. It's the renewing of your mind. It's the re- think on these things. Think on these things. Think on these things. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. Don't have a blind heart. Listen, think, think, think. Think, think, believe, submit to the truth. That's biblical ministry. Amen? That's biblical ministry. And so it says here, verse 19 again, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. And we just looked at that at the rest of the passage a few weeks ago. It's really important that we get this. So what are we talking about? The definition of a church. We know what a church is. The danger of comfort. And then the duty of the Christian. What's the duty of the Christian? The duty of the Christian is to learn the truth, to submit to the truth, and then teach the truth. That's the duty of the Christian. That's the heart of Grace Baptist Church. That's everything that we're doing. And we want to have the opportunity to minister to as many people as possible, not fewer. To move to those next steps, it's not comfortable. It's difficult. But what we all need to do is we all need to come together in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You'll look at two more passages and we'll be done. Look with me at um, Philippians chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Philippians 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Remember, we started in Philippians 1 with the Apostle Paul saying it's better to stay for the people. Verse 24, nevertheless, it is abide, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. That's Philippians 1, 24. Now look at what it says in verse 25. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all. Look at for your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me and by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast. Now look, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What does it look like when a church has one mind? What does that look like? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Oneness. Same mind. Same judgment. How does that happen? We all speak the same thing. How does that happen? One on one. Biblical discipleship, where we teach each other the word of God. The Bible says, follow after a pattern of sound words, 2 Timothy 1.13. 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That is the heart of the ministry. That's the duty of the Christian. It's not comfortable to put down what you think and come together with the Word of God. That's not comfortable. That's difficult. But that kind of comfort, where every man is doing that which is right in his own mind, what does that lead to? It leads to destruction. We're supposed to come together with one mind, one judgment, no schisms, all together in one body. And what does that do? That brings glory to God. Remember where we started, Ephesians 3.21. That God the Father would receive glory by Jesus Christ in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Jesus Christ should receive glory in this church. God the Father should receive glory in the church. How does that happen? When we get saved, we submit to the Word of God, we worship Him. We all speak the same thing, not based on what the preacher says, but based on what the Bible says. And what happens then? God gets glory. That's the purpose of the church. Amen? It starts with being saved. Are you saved? If you died today, are you 100% sure that you'd go to heaven? If you're not, man, none of the other stuff matters. most important thing is that you get saved, and you get saved by placing your faith and trust alone for your eternal life in Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. You receive the free gift of eternal life that He has offered. Then the rest of us, do you know what we're supposed to do? Have one mind. Amen? we're supposed to come together around the Word of God and move ahead. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity of preaching your word.